I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowler-Jack and I'm here with my guest, Shannon Green. Shannon is the confirmation pastor at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Britt. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> um, the first question I've been asking everybody is kind of starting at the beginning of the story and asking you, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Um, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, so I was born into the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, both my parents are Nazarene, still Nazarene. I don't know. I probably third generation Nazarene, maybe fourth generation Nazarene. I don't know how far back it goes, but I, love it. Uh, I was born here. Oh, okay. So then tell me the story of your call to ministry. How did you end up being a pastor? Um, I was called to ministry as a middle schooler. I think that's why I love working with middle schoolers now because they just, they're so, they're so moldable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like using that word moldable mm-hmm. because they're so receptive to hearing from God. And that's when I heard from God, I was a seventh grader and I was hearing from my pastor and he was talking about his own call to ministry and how for a while he had run from God's voice and was, um, and not in a place where he was ready to hear from God. And I was a seventh grader and I'm hearing this Mm. and I'm saying, God, I don't want to run from you. I want to hear your voice and I want to respond to it the very first time. Mm. So I think I was about 12. And so I said, whatever it is you want for me, God, I'm here for it. I'm ready for you. And so that was kind of the first time I guess I had a call to ministry Mm -hmm. and I probably wouldn't have even like named it as such at that moment, Mm -hmm. but I would say that that go looking back on it, that was my call to ministry. And so I responded to that call kind of just by serving in the youth group and Mm -hmm. being on Mm -hmm. the praise team and, and being a leader, serving as small groups, going on mission trips, you know, how you respond to your call as a seventh grader. Yeah. It's a lot differently than how you respond as a adult. Mm. Um, but then eventually that led me to going to school at mid American Nazarene university, and then later on to Nazarene theological seminary as well. Okay. So you're at mid America and NTS. Did you do any Um, tell me me kind of the ministry story there. Did you do any pastoring while you were in school? Yeah. So I interned at two local churches while I was at school. Um, At college, I was at, I worked with the, with the middle school group there and um, in college or at seminary, I was at, and both of those experiences were just so beneficial as you know, you not only were learning about ministry, but you were engaging in the work of ministry and, you know, the pastors there and the mentors there and the professors just were so beneficial and in pouring into me and, mm-hmm. and, and really all of that just so continued to cement my call that yeah. I knew I was 
doing what I was supposed to be doing. I knew I was where I was supposed to be at. Um, and, and again, just continue to reaffirm and to me that this was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I've, I've pretty much always been in youth ministry <laughs> since college. Um, and, and that's where I continue to serve is, is with middle schoolers. Um, so, but then right, pretty much right out of, um, seminary, I took my first full-time, uh, ministry position and it was an open. So I want to kind of ask you the, the beginning of the next story. When was the first time that it occurred to you that you may not end up staying in the church of the Nazarene? Yeah. So I was, um, I was out of seminary and I was just, I was actually just a few months out from my ordination. So of course we all know ordination is a couple year long process, a few year long process. And I'm beginning to hear some rumblings at some of our Nazarene educational institution that a couple of beloved professors were, were kind of being attacked for mm-hmm. some of their theological positions. Mm-hmm. And, and from where I saw it, you know, having gone through the ordination process and, you know, now being at the very tail end of it and having gone through uh, the education institutions at MNU and NTS, their positions were very much within the bounds of not only Christian orthodoxy, but also our Nazarene beliefs as well. Mm. But these, these two professors were really getting some hate and being mm. attacked um, by kind of more of the conservative or traditionalist wing of the Nazarene church. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of their institutions, you know, standing up for them and saying, no, you know, their positions are valid. Their positions are within what we believe as, as Nazarenes. Um, their, their institutions instead um, kind of demoted them or, or, you know, removed them from leadership positions and kind of caved in to the mm. conservative rumblings. And so at that time, I was just really processing this, um, like we still do to this day, this is about 2015, but like we still do today, I was processing all this online. Yeah. And, and I was kind of asking this, I was doing a lot of writing and I was doing a lot of blogging at the time. Mm. And I said, you know, hey, Church of the Nazarene, is this, is this the church that we really want to be? Yeah. That when we have voices that are, you know, putting forward theology that that may not necessarily be what we all believe, but is well within the bounds of what we consider Nazarene mm-hmm. beliefs and orthodoxy. Um, we we push those voices aside. We marginalize them and, and we demote them and we say mm-hmm. that's not who we are. So I'm just asking the question like, hey, Church of the Nazarene, are we becoming more fundamentalist? Are we mm-hmm. becoming more, are we tightening up the reins? I'm, I'm just asking that question. Yeah. And, and on so your was, blog, you mean? On my blog. Yeah. yeah. And kind of just putting that out into the, the, the worldwide web ecosphere. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this, um, this all came to the attention of my DS at the time and mm-hmm. the, about two weeks before my ordination. And he, he confronted me about it. And he said, well, Shannon, maybe you shouldn't be a part of the church of the Nazarene. If oh. this is what you're asking, mm. if this is what you believe. And I said, I think you've got this all wrong. I, you know, I want to be a part of a church of the Nazarene to, to make it better, to, to make it a place where we can have deep theological questions and deep theological discussions. And we can ask questions. I want it to be a safe place where we can have debates and discussions. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the, all these circumstances and going, this looks a lot like, you know, we're moving more towards legalism and fundamentalism. Um, but that was really kind of the first time I thought, well, maybe there isn't room in the church of the Nazarene for me, if we're, we're shutting down any voices that um, a, a conservative wing 
doesn't agree with. What, what finally happened? Where, where did you go from that moment to the, the pivot that you made? So I didn't leave the Church of the Nazarene at that time. I just mm-hmm. kind of thought, well, maybe that's just that particular region. I didn't end up getting ordained, but uh, my husband and I very quickly made the decision to not stay in a little bit more conservative. So we thought, well, maybe we'll have better success, you know, going back to Kansas City where mm-hmm. I had been for the previous like, you know, eight or 10 years. And mm-hmm. so we, we head back to Kansas City. He gets a job um, at, the, you know, where I'm currently serving at Church of the Resurrection. And I took a job at um, headquarters, at Nazarene headquarters. And I, I have to say that was such a beautiful position and place for me to be. And that Aww. really actually redeemed my hope in the Church of the Nazarene. And mm. I loved um, where I served. I served with Global Nazarene Youth International. I served um, with an amazing team of people, with an amazing boss. And I got to see just a beautiful side of the Nazarene church, working uh-huh. with global youth leaders and youth directors from all around the world. Um, and I love that job. I loved it, but it was not pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for two and a half years while I'm working at headquarters and doing event planning and doing conferencing and doing meeting planning, I'm still kind of putting out the, you know, feelers for, you know, a potential ministry position, you know, associate, lead, youth ministry, you know, just kind of seeing what's out there. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not getting like any bites, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that would be uh, within my requirements for, you know, a livable income (laughs) or to provide, you know, for me and my husband, Mm -hmm. uh, where I wouldn't have to move out of Kansas City, you know, because at the time my husband was working in Kansas City. So, Mm -hmm just not getting anything. And of course, you know, if you're a woman in ministry, you always think, am I not getting any offers because I'm a woman? Mm. And, you know, you don't want to go there, but your mind always goes there. And so I'm like, I just didn't understand it. Like I have two degrees in ministry. I'm ordained as an elder. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet here I am in the heart of Kansas city you know, the heart of Nazarendom. Mm. And I just can't find a job that's in pastoral ministry. Mm. And so my decision to, you know, kind of step out of ministry in the Nazarene world was not ultimately motivated by anything, um, you know, scandalous. Uh, my, my decision was the Methodist church was the one that gave me a job with mm-hmm. a livable wage and that that honored me as a as a pastor and that honored my gifts so you know yeah. we had been connected to a church of the resurrection and an opening for a position came open that was the young adult pastor position at the time was mm-hmm. the job I first stepped into and they said Shannon you're a pastor and we see your gifts and we see your heart for ministry and we see your resume and uh, would you be willing to come on staff and serve with us? Mm. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so I took that position in March of 2018. Love that story. Um, so you're ordained in the church of the Nazarene at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is happening then with your status or credentials? Like what's going on there? Yeah. So I went through all the proper, like, 
channels. <laughs> I went to my DS and I, I said, hey, I got this opportunity to serve with the Methodists. I'd like to continue serving under my Nazarene credentials, you know, because, you know, who knows down the road, there may come a time I want to step back into ministry in the Nazarene church if a, a position opened up for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I served, I began serving under special assignment mm-hmm. um, in the Methodist church. And I did not seek appointment, you know, it, it you can do it both ways where you like seek appointment from the Methodists to serve at the Methodist church. I did not seek appointment from the Methodist side. I only sought appointment or I sought special, special service assignment from the Nazarenes. Uh huh. Okay. So the Nazarenes gave their stamp of approval and said, yes, Shannon, we are sending you out to serve among the Methodists for, this, for this season of time. So mm-hmm. great. Uh, and I'm working there and I'm serving there for about a year. I continue to fill out my annual pastor reports, you Mm -hmm. know, send that off to the district. Mm -hmm. So again, everything's above board, uh, trying to be really conscientious about that. And, um, then, um, during this time, you know, if you're following any sort of religion news, the Methodists have their own, you know, internal struggles going on regarding the inclusion of LGBTQ persons, Mm -hmm. um, in, in the church and whether or not you know, they want to perform same-sex marriages and whether or not LGBTQ persons should be fully ordained as clergy. And so that's all hitting very, you know, national public news. Sure. That doesn't affect me in my job and what I do. That doesn't affect me. You know, I, my church would never ask me to perform a marriage that I would not feel comfortable performing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my lead pastor at my church, Adam Hamilton, he's, he's very much an advocate for LGBTQ inclusion. And, and so this is all very public. Mm. So all this is happening. And, um, in May of 2019, Mm -hmm. uh, I receive an email from my district, the Nazarene district that says, in essence, Shannon, um, because you're the church where you're serving church of the resurrection is um, out of line with the Nazarene stance on human sexuality. You need to find a new place of service that is in full alignment with the Nazarene's position on human sexuality, or we will remove your Nazarene credentials within a year. Mm. So that puts me in a really hard position. (laughs) Yeah. So... I either have to like leave my job and leave this church that I've come to love over the past year. Mm. And the one that was willing to see me as a pastor and give me a job mm. or uh, I lose my Nazarene credentials. I lose my, my ordination. Um, so I essentially said, well, I'm not leaving my church. I'm not leaving my job. Yeah. Um, I will begin the process of, of candidacy of ordination in the, in the Methodist church. Mm. And that's what I did. And how does that process work? Talk to me about that. Um, it sucks. (laughs) 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 Um, and because the Nazarene church was uh, not willing to, um, Essentially, they, they weren't willing to allow the Methodists to appoint me. You know, guys, like I said, it kind of goes two ways. If the Methodist church wanted to appoint me on their side while the Nazarene church was willing to appoint me 
or leave me on special service assignment kind of indefinitely, the transition could have gone a little bit more smoother. But since mm-hmm. they, the Nazarene church kind of gave me like a deadline, mm-hmm. I had to enter candidacy um, in the Methodist church pretty much at ground zero. Like wait, this wait, is- wait, wait, but you're ordained at this point. You're, you're an ordained elder in the church of the Nazarene. Yes. You don't just like, you know, scooch that over and, um, take a history and polity of the Methodist church and then check, check done. Or I guess mm-hmm. I just assume since you were ordained, that process would be simpler. You would think, but, um, they are not called Methodists because they're called Methodists because they have a method for everything. <laughs> uh, okay. And, all right. Classic. And, um, there is kind of a loophole where if you've been like appointed by the Methodists for two years, um, you can, it's a little bit of a more seamless transfer. Mm. Um, but that was not the case for me because I had not been appointed by the the Methodist Bishop. It's really complicated. Well, but then um, are you receiving resistance then also from, from on our end on this side? Or is it just complicated from, from the Methodist side? It's mostly complicated. And like my local church, like a hundred percent supports me. They Mm -hmm. are super like, we want to do everything to like lift you up. Like they're, you know, they're paying for my education and and all of that. But, um, it's just like, they just have like a lot of rules and regulations. And then part of that is like, I, I love the Methodist church for that. They have a super strict vetting process for their, their, their ministers for their clergy, which is fabulous because it means that they're not going to just like let people through willy nilly. Mm. Um, but that means that I have to be subjected to it as well. Sure. <laughs> um, but, um, so essentially, yeah, I started back at candidacy at ground zero. Um, so I had to, you know, go through this, um, I, they call it candidacy summit. I had to go through my local church, you know, they call it staff parish relations committee, which is kind of like the board. I had mm-hmm. to go up, you know, go through district committee interviews. I mean, like I've had to go through everything wow. again. Okay. Um, and, and I, now I'm going through seminary again. So I only have an MA from NTS and now I'm getting my MDiv from the local uh, Methodist seminary here in Kansas city. Wow. Wow. So it's a lot. That's a lot. So if you'll, if you'll let me, I'd love to dig around and kind of the nitty gritty and ask you, um, you know, from that initial email that you got from the the Nazarene district, like what was the actual like step-by-step process of this, um, of leaving this kind of family of faith? So, yeah, I, I were emailed back to them and I said, well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm committed to my church and I'm going to stay here. So I will begin the candidacy within the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. and I kind of left it at that and waited to see what would happen and then it's really funny uh about that same time the next year I get the regular email from the district secretary saying oh. hey Shannon we need your paperwork for like you know to to continue in in good standing and I said well as you remember I'm I'm on in the process of you know becoming a a pastor in the United Methodist Church and they say oh yeah 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 that's right mm. <laughs> and so that was just hilarious to me that they like didn't remember that they Whoops. were like trying to defrock me <laughs> and um 
and so then when I got to a place where I was um, more or less like in, um, well, they, they have different levels of candidacy in the Methodist Church. You have, you're a declared candidate, you're a certified candidate. Once I became officially a local licensed pastor, I essentially emailed the district and said, hey, guys, wanted to let you know um, I'm officially a pastor and EMC. So however you need to process that in your system. Mm-hmm. And they said, great, we'll mark you down as transferred to another denomination. Oh, so okay. in, in their records, they never, they never had to file my credentials. They never had to take away my credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they marked me down as transferred to another denomination. Okay. That's interesting. Did you experience any, um, kind of emotional side of this? Are you, are you grieving or tell me about that process? Oh yeah. I, I I would say I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm like past the grief, you know, it comes and goes, but there was definitely a time, um, where I grieved. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was less painful that for me than it probably is for a lot of other people, because I was already like in a really healthy place of ministry. I was already serving in the Methodist church. Mm. Um, I think the thing that I grieved the most was that I wasn't able to do it on my terms. Um, I wasn't able to um, leave the Nazarene church in a way that was, um, it wasn't the way that I would have chosen. It was, um, they were, it felt like they were burning a lot of bridges with me. Mm. Um, and, And, you know, really the thing is I would have probably you know, transfer my credentials to the Methodist church anyway. Like I probably mm. was, was making that decision for myself ultimately in the end anyway. Yeah. But, um, it felt like that I was forced into making it at a place in a time where I sooner than I would have wanted to. And that was, mm. that was what hurt the most, I think. Mm. Um, well, tell me about what God has been doing in your, in your life and ministry since the transition. Um, God has been faithful. And, um, I love the students and the mentors that I get to work with. Uh, so essentially the quickest path for me to be able to do ministry as a pastor in the Methodist church was to become a local licensed pastor, which is kind of like being a district licensed pastor in the Nazarene church. That's like kind of the easiest equivalent, but you can be a local licensed pastor as long as you want. Like you don't have to go on to ordination. Hmm. I will eventually go on to ordination, but that's not where I'm at right now. Got it. Um, So um, I became a local licensed pastor this past summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So like July, 2021. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been able to this, so that's exciting for me because now I get to baptize my students. I get to um, preside over communion with them. Mm. And so that's just been really, really exciting. So um, love being able to do ministry with them. We have, you know, a couple hundred confirmands every year that come through our church. Wow. And, um, you know, just being able to share life with them has been amazing and get to uh, disciple them and, and lead them on to, to make that deeper commitment to Christ. You know, in the, in the Methodist church, we baptize, um, primarily infants. Mm-hmm. So confirmation is then the, the chance for them to make that commitment to follow Christ themselves. And so Aww. that's essentially the journey that I get to lead them through. Yeah. So cool. And that's your ministry focus then. Cause you're the confirmation mm-hmm. pastor. Yeah. And I do, I do other things you know, I go on mission trips with them and, you know, help out at youth group on Wednesday nights, but yeah, that's my ministry focus essentially. Gosh, love it. So cool. 
Um, well, let me ask you a couple of things um, in reflection here. How, how might we have made a more hospitable place for your ministry in, in our denomination in the Church of Nazarene? I think that, um, I think very practically for me in my case is, is understanding that there may come a point when it's time for Nazarene pastors to, to exit and, and providing a, a gracious uh, exit ramp for Nazarene pastors and, and mm -hmm. being willing to work with other denominations to say, hey, other denominations, what could a gracious exit path and a gracious entrance path look like? Um, so, you know, just kind of being willing to cooperate with that process mm -hmm. instead of saying like, here's a very hard um, we're going to strip you of your credentials in a year if if you don't get on on board with what we're doing. Mm. Um, that, that's just a very practical concern in my case. Yeah. Um, I think that just in general, being willing to engage in hard discussions yeah. and hard conversations, yeah. um, it's been fascinating to be a part of the Methodist nomination during this really difficult season mm -hmm. of ministry within the Methodist church, but these hard conversations are happening all over the place and no one fears for their credentials. Mm. I mean, no one fears that they're going to get, lose their job or their church or their ordination. Mm. Um, it happens in my seminary classes every single day where it's like, it's not the weird, it's not the elephant in the room, mm. but we're all talking about like, what's going to happen when the Methodist church splits. And it's just <laughs> a kind of a general like topic of our conversation that comes up every single day. Whether so, church split, you know, it's like, yeah, the, the, the small it's talk, small talk, uh, you know, in a Methodist seminary. And, <laughs> and we're not, we're not fearful about those conversations. We confront them head on. We had a, a young Methodist um, conference at our church a couple of months ago. And it was, again, just like, nobody was scared to have these conversations. We might be scared of, of what happens, but we're not scared to have these conversations. Mm. Oh. Do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement that you would give to the millennial clergy who are still here, who are still part of the church of Nazarene? I would say, uh, be faithful to, to your convictions and to your values and to your beliefs. Um, but at the same time, I think you need to allow the church of the Nazarene to be faithful to who they are mm. and to, um, to her values and beliefs and convictions. Mm. Yeah, I, I came to a point pretty early on in this journey that I knew I wasn't going to be the one to change the church of the Nazarene. Mm. And it was going to be a very painful and hard process, you know, just kind of, you know, you know, what's the saying, like a, a rock versus a hard place where it was, we were constantly going to be butting heads. If I was going to try to force the denomination to be something she was never going to be. Well, unpack that for me. What do you mean by that? Um, I knew I wasn't going to be the one to make the church of the Nazarene and an inclusive place for LGBTQ persons. And so it wasn't faithful to me to try to stay there. If, um, I was inclusive mm. in, in affirming in my theology and belief and convictions, mm -hmm. and it wasn't faithful to the church of the Nazarene to try to get her to be something that she wasn't. Mm. Um, you can know, I, we can I dig around in this for a minute? If you, if you don't mind. Sure. What, what about church now for you in an affirming, a more affirming, let's say environment 
is so different? What is, what is the uh, practical, like on the ground um, things that you, that you see and that are helpful to you as an affirming human in the context that you are now that you didn't have, that you didn't see happening in churches where you were previously? I would say just the fact that it's a non-issue. Like I worship and serve alongside LGBTQ persons every single day. And it's a non-issue just like you serve alongside, you know, men and women are serving alongside people, each other. And it's Mm -hmm. a Mm non-issue. And the fact that my youth group is a fully safe and affirming place for trans teens, for queer teens, for non-binary teens, Mm -hmm. and that I can have a place for them to say, you are welcome here. You are Mm -hmm. safe here. You are celebrated here you are lifted up here. You can be put in leadership here. That is a, it's a world of difference. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any other like thoughts that you want to, things that you would want us to hear or know about this journey for you. Yeah, I would say, um, so the, the, the two words that have kind of really shaped me are, um, faithful Um, so whatever you're doing, do it faithfully. So if you are going to stay, be faithful to who you are, be faithful to the church of the Nazarene and who the church of the Nazarene is, um, you're going to stay, stay, you know, peaceably, you know, and and not, not that you're like trying to be a, a peacekeeper, like keeping Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. peace, but like, you know, if you're going to stay, then stay peace, peaceably, you know, yeah. as like the Romans passage, as much as it depends on you, you know, be keep peaceably with everyone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I would say one of the best pieces of advice I can give is to protect your mental health mm. and to protect your family. Mm. And this goes for anybody in any ministry position anywhere. Um, if you are in a place of ministry and, and whether that's a local church, whether that is a denomination, wherever it may be, and your mental health is suffering, mm-hmm. if your family is suffering, if your family's mental health is suffering, then, then that is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And you need to, you need to find a, a way to, to maybe get out of that place of ministry because it's, it's that ministry does not need to cost your, your mental health or your family's mental health. Mm. do you do you feel like uh you know all hearts and minds cleared is there anything else that you want to share I think one thing I want to share is that um I think most people think that I left the church the Nazarene primarily over LGBTQ issues and I think that the leadership in the Nazarene church thinks that I left the church of the Nazarene primarily over LGBTQ issues. Mm. And it's, it's actually not mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I left, I left for the Methodist church because the Methodist church was the, was the denomination that saw me as a pastor mm-hmm. that gave me an opportunity to be a pastor mm-hmm. that gave me a livable wage mm-hmm. as a pastor mm-hmm. that recognized my gifts and graces for ministry that, um, that gave me an opportunity to serve, Mm. that gave me a church home. I want to, I want to say that it wasn't primarily about the LGBTQ. 
inclusion. That mm. certainly plays a part in it, but I want to name that it wasn't just about that. Yeah. It wasn't even solely about that. Mm. Well, I am so grateful to you, Shannon, um, for your openness and telling the story. I know that that can't be easy. Um, and I just really appreciate you and your work in the world. And I'm grateful for you taking the time to be with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Britt. Yeah. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey, millennial pastor podcast listeners. I'm Ryan Fasani, a millennial pastor, a farmer, and an author in the Pacific Northwest. My experience is that the church is long overdue in learning to hold suffering, grieve well, and wrestle honestly with doubt but we probably don't need another how-to book. My memoir, Consuming Hope, Father, Son, and Four Days to Live, is less an instructional guide and more a backstage pass to a modern-day crucifixion story. Condensed into four heart-wrenching days, Consuming Hope is a rare and intimate look into the final stage of my father's battle with ALS. A few years ago, I stepped away from full-time ministry to seek renewal. I didn't expect to be faced with my father's imminent death. In those final hours of vulnerability and struggle, he and I experienced nothing short of a life-altering miracle. And of course, my renewal was not what I expected. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.